Happy Mother's Day, everybody. It's really good to be with you. I, I, I love that um, we gave away uh, a you know, gift certificate to Burke Williams. That's really fun. I love that my wife got to be a part of, I guess, you guys get to know Amanda a lot. She is terrific. I'm really glad that she was able to be a part of that. You did great, Amanda. And um, man, it's great to be with you guys. Just out of curiosity, how many of you um, just, like, just admittedly, you, you stepped up what you're wearing just by a degree today, just because it was Mother's Day. Just not, I'm not saying that you wore a tuxedo or something, but just by like a degree. Like today you're like, I'm wearing pants today. I don't, I don't, I'm not just going to run around outside. I don't have any pants on. It's like, it's Mother's Day, put pants on. Um, but anyway, <laughs> I just know that this is a day, it's, for some of you, I know that you're, you're new, maybe because you also put a collared shirt on. We realized today on the way to... Uh, the church, as we were driving, um, we, got, we hit every green light, and my, one of my kids goes, we're going to hit every single green light on the way here. And I go, that's because every one of you is wearing a collared shirt. They're like, my youngest is like, we're doing that a lot. I'm like, your mom would love that. Um, but anyways, there's so many, there, I, I was going to say, I bet a lot of you are here. Maybe you don't come here very often, you're not sure about church, but you came because you put the collared shirt on, you're going to brunch afterwards, and I know that um, you might have all kinds of thoughts about church, and let me just Try to, and first of all, welcome. I'm glad that you're here. And we, we say that, you know, our, our church is in the community, for the community. We believe that um, we're not here for ourselves. This isn't a secret club. We really believe that one of the sort of foundational membership, quote unquote, we don't have membership, but the found, if this was a club, anyways, the foundational membership ethic would be how do we serve everybody around us? And so what we say around here a lot is, um, you know, we, we are a group of people who are trying to follow Jesus and love other people. And uh, we don't have all the answers. And if you're looking for people that have all the answers or have everything together, this is not your place. We're a work in progress kind of place. And so wherever you're at, regardless of your own experience, understanding, or knowledge of Jesus or the Bible, you're welcome to be here. We believe everybody, wherever sta- whatever stage they're in, has a next step to take. And we, each week we challenge ourselves to take that next step in relationship with Jesus and loving other people. So hopefully that's at least something you can get your, your, you know, maybe your heart around and maybe that's some, something or some sense and maybe something you'd like to be a part of. So with that in mind, um, we are in a series and we're going to change gears a little bit. And I do have to tell you, I got I to gotta blaze through this message. It's real, I really am excited about it. I do believe in it a lot. But I want to get you guys out to brunch and taking pictures and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Because I know you're wearing a sweater. Your mom was cold and she said put a sweater on. And it's going to get hotter later. And so I got to get you out there before it gets too hot. I get it. All right? Now, we're in a series called Things I Wish Jesus Never Said. And I have to tell you, as we talk about it over the past couple of weeks, we have been saying that, you know, Jesus says some stuff that's pretty challenging. That we kind of have an impression sometimes where we say, you know, Jesus, he just walked around. Everybody loved what he had to say. They're like, this guy's awesome. Look at him. He's so great. And the truth is, that's not really the case. Because Jesus did a lot of things that were great. And people, he drew lots of crowds because he's like got, we said this every week. He's got, uh, he's got miracles happening. He's got blind guys being able to see. People who couldn't hear can now hear. People with leprosy are, you know, their leprosy is gone. He's like healing people. Walk in and he does like the cool party trick. where like, all right, we're out of wine. Let's turn the water into wine. Oh my gosh, Jesus is so much fun. They have all, he raises a guy from the dead. The crowds are all around him. And yet he says some things every so often that people go, whoa, 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 whoa wait a second. Can't, can't really say that. To look at it just really quickly. We've said this every single week that even as Jesus is, my, there we go. As Jesus is teaching, this is what happens. On hearing Jesus teaching in John 6, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching, who can accept it? And what we said every week is this. This isn't simply... You know, man, this is kind of tough. We don't understand. This is, this is crazy. Stop saying stuff like that. A couple of verses later, you get this. From this time on, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. 
We love everything you got going. This seems like a really cool plan, the kingdom of God, all of that, whatever that is. We like that. We think you and this whole Messiah Christ thing, we're kind of getting on board with that. But you keep saying stuff that we just cannot get on board with because you're saying things we wish you would never say. And over the past couple weeks, we looked really closely at this. And as we consider what it looks like today, I just think there's a big question we all have to face. And it's, re- it's true of every person in this room, regardless of your own understanding or knowledge of the Bible. It's this question. What do we do with the stuff that Jesus says that we don't really like? Like, wow, he said that. I don't, do, I blow it, do I blow it off? Do I bury it? Do I pretend it didn't happen? Do I say, oh, that was a different time. That was a, so we don't have to, we don't have to you know, pay attention to that anymore. What do we say when we encounter stuff that Jesus says that we don't really like? So today we're going to be in Revelation chapter 3. I'll get to that in a moment, but let's pray and we'll get into it. Jesus, we thank you on a day of Mother's Day. We can still be challenged and encouraged by your word. We have um, all kinds of thoughts about today and all kinds of thoughts about our own mothers and our own experience of being mothered or being a mother. Father, some of us are full of guilt. Some of us are full of joy. Some of us are full of a sense of emptiness. Some of us, Jesus, have come a long way to even be here today. And so, Father, would you fill us in a way that is, at least in some way, a little bit maternal? Father, tonight or today, would you, uh, would you reveal to us your heart for us and that your intention for us is to love you and to be loved by you and that you welcome us into a deeper understanding of who you are today. And so, Father, for just a moment, would you speak to us in just a moment of stillness about your intention to walk with us, to love us, to empower us, to love us, Jesus. Jesus, at some level, we're all kids and we're crying out and need to be loved. Might that be known today? In your name, amen. All right, now, you, if you came in here, you got a little bulletin or an outline. On the back of that bulletin is an outline. You can follow along there if you want. If you are like, you want to follow along in your own Bible and you believe that that's the best way to do that, that the Bible should never be digital, great. You can do that in your own Bible. We'll be in Revelation chapter 3. If you're like, I'm all about the swipe and the swoosh and the zoom and the whatever. You got your, your phone, you want to do that, great. Or if you're like, hey, listen, I just want to stare at you for a few minutes until brunch happens, great. Everything you need to be on the screen so you can do whatever you need to do to follow along. We want to help you in whatever way you need. Now, um, how many of you guys remember, I'll just, I'll just do this, I won't even ask you because it's just, it's just painful, but how many remember maybe at some point you were, maybe it was high school or college, you had, a, you had a person that you were you were kind of into, like you were friends with them, you know, and then it was kind of like, I think, I think I'm ready, I think I, I think I really might, I might love this person. And you, you had that moment where you decided that you just needed to confess your love for them, and you just thought like, okay, huh, we've been friends for a long time, and I just... I just need to tell you, I'm totally in love with you. And they're like, oh, gosh. Oh, it's, oh, man. Can I just say that happened to me like five times? I was the person going, oh, I just want to let you know. And they're like, yeah, we're, you're totally a friend. Oh, it's the worst. I am a friend, I'm funny, and I'm a good dancer, and that's it, you know, whatever else. Okay, now, uh, how many of you, maybe some of you have been the other end of things where someone had come to you and said, I just want you to, I mean, it's the other way around, that you, maybe you've been the recipient of that, maybe you were so incredibly attractive and wonderful, and people like me came to you all the time and were like, I just want to let you know, we were friends, but I just think there's something more there, and you're like, oh, I've given this speech a few times, but it's just not going to happen, and whatever else, that might have been you at some point or another. 
And what you learn, hopefully you learn it back then at that point in your life. Hopefully you learn it then. Because, you know, by the way, I had, there was this one girl who when I was in high school, as soon as I got my license, I realized I had driven by her house like 20 times one day. And I was like, this is the behavior of a stalker. You, <laughs> you have to stop this. This is no longer, this is not going to, like, oh, I didn't realize I'm like 25 minutes from my house. I didn't realize, I just, wow, it's weird that you're here in front of your house. I was just driving and <laughs> funny. But there's one thing we start to realize. Hopefully we learn this lesson. And it's like a definitive imposter. There's this one thing we absolutely know for sure. It's this. That no amount of cleverness, charm, force, or manipulation can make one person love another. It doesn't matter how hard we try. It doesn't matter what dance we do. If, it's, if they don't have it, it's not happening. If they don't feel it, it's not happening, no matter what you do. Now, I would say in so many words that that is the essence, by the way, of every single romantic, that lesson, by the way, is the essence of every single romantic comedy ever. That's it. That there's a person who at some point is like, I got to figure out a way to get that person, that guy or that girl. And they realize at some point, and, and maybe in some ways it even kind of works, but they realize I'm not the person I intended to be. Take it one step further. The story of a romantic comedy is really simple. And this is the tried and true method. People try to break from this kind of the way in which romantic comedies are supposed to work all the time and it never works. So that method is really simple. It's just boy meets girl, boy loses girl, boy finds girl again. That's the whole, that's everything. And you've seen movies where they try to break, like there was a movie a couple years ago, literally that was just boy finds girl, boy loses girl, the end. And everybody's like, what? This is a horrible movie. I know, we're just doing it different. No, it's a bad movie because that's not how it's supposed to go. Now, bear with me. That idea, romantic comedy, maybe because it's Mother's Day, we're kind of going down this road. But that idea that there is a boy meets girl, boy loses girl, boy finds girl story in all romantic comedies in some way or another is literally the story of the Bible. And I want to kind of give you a sense of what that looks like, at least so you might understand God's heart for you today. Now, to talk about Revelation, like I said, Revelation is this, it's, it's the weirdest, most bizarre book in the world. It's just, I know it's so strange if you read it before. Some people will tell you they have deciphered it, like they figured out there's all kinds of weird symbolism and stuff and weird, you're going to look at it. Some people will tell you, I know exactly what this means. Other people will tell you, I have no idea what's going on there, but I know there's like lots of really fun stuff they're talking about there. But Revelation essentially is this, I'll just boil it down as much as I can. Um, it's written by a guy named John. This is the John who's dis- who self-described in his own letter, his own gospel account of Jesus' life as the, as the disciple Jesus loved. Like he just kind of had a pretty good feeling about himself. Oh, I won't say who it is, but it's the one Jesus loved. I'm not sure. It's probably me. Anyway, but he kind of says that about himself. He has been captured. He's been persecuted. They, uh, they have put him on an island called Patmos, and he's receiving this revelation, this vision from God, from Jesus. And part of that revelation, part of that um, vision is that he's supposed to address some issues within a particular couple of churches in the area, in Asia Minor, which is now Turkey. And so I want to focus on his vision for one of those churches. In particular, what I want to tell you is, one of those churches is a church called Laodicea. And the thing he says to this church is a thing that I wish Jesus never would have said. It's one of the things that I, it hits me right between the eyes and I go, my gosh, this is hard to hear. All right, so you guys ready for this? I don't think you are, but we're going to go anyways. Okay, here we go. Revelation 3, 14 to 15 says this, to the angel, this, by the way, angel could mean lots of things. The word angel literally in Greek, um, it just means messenger. So probably the leader of the church. To the angel of the church in Laodicea, right, which by the way, because why would you write a letter to an angel? Like, you could just say it, right? So you write to the messenger, the leader of the church. These are the words of the amen. This is just a reference to Jesus, who is the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. 
I know your deeds, that you are neither hot, cold nor hot. I wish you were either one, not the other. Okay, now, here's where it continues even further. This is what you don't want to hear. So because you are lukewarm or tepid, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Oh, wow, that's wonderful. Thank you for those encouraging words, John. Thank you for the letter we received. It's wonderful. Now, <laughs> let me tell you what this is and what this isn't. Okay, what this, first of all, what this isn't is this. This isn't simply a love me or leave me speech by Jesus to the church. Like, listen, which, which you who are the highly admired and loved people when you're in high school, you had to kind of, you, you probably have had to have that speech with people where it's like, listen, it's in or, we're in or out. This is, can't be both. You're a, you know, I, 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 like, I get that. You either, it's like you're torturing me with I'm in or you have to let me know and just let's, let's do this or not. What are we happening here? That's not what Jesus is saying. He's not saying love me or leave me. He's just saying something a little bit different. And the way to kind of explain that is this. Laodicea, by the way, has a water problem. It's important to note. Laodicea is a community of people that is connected in three cities. One of them is Colossae. The other one is Heropolis, which is right near there. And it's at, the, it's at sort of a crossroads of these three cities. The Laodicean community would have stretched throughout those, those cities in different capacities. Now, in Colossae, the water comes, it's all of their water supply comes from snowmelt. It is cold and crisp and delicious. You want to drink it. If I say it enough times, you'll start thinking, I'm thirsty. That's how good the water is. It's that good. Now, Heropolis, on the other hand, has um, spring, like, what's it called? Hot springs. So people would go there. They go and basically sit in the first century version of a jacuzzi, and they're hanging out, and it feels awesome. They're mineral hot springs. People go there, which means cold is good and hot is good, but middle of the road is not good. With me? Here's what I mean. Imagine, I have a friend who's an ultra marathoner. These are people who run marathons that are, at, you know, over 26 miles. <laughs> He hates himself. I mean, there's no other way to describe that. <laughs> this guy lives in Colorado. He runs. He's like, you know, I'm like, hey, what's going on? And he's like, oh, dude, I just ran, a, just did a 35-mile, you know, marathon at 9,000 feet. <laughs> Why? That's the, I mean, that's not, there's nothing. Are you planning for a, like a moon excursion? What's your plan here? But he loves to do this. Stuff. Now imagine, for instance, you are forced to do this for whatever reason. You're forced to run an ultra marathon. And you're running through the desert. At the end of that, that whole race, someone says, would you like a Pepsi? And you go, my gosh, I don't even drink Pepsi anymore. But yeah, I do. And they hand you a Pepsi. And it's just room temperature. Thank you so much for that. You know, I ran 35 miles in the desert. You couldn't have cold the saw. Couldn't give me some ice or anything. That's all you got. It's like, no, lukewarm. When I was in college, we did, a, um, we would go on a ski retreat. And then this is what we would do is... Uh, Someone would have the, the wise idea, which was, let's make, let's, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go to the, like, little condo jacuzzi area. And what we're going to do is we're going to just get in our trunks and a towel, and we're going to run from the condo through the snow and then jump into the jacuzzi, which is, it feels like, by the way, it seems like a pretty fun idea, you know? A couple things, though. When you do jump into a hot jacuzzi with your feet, like, super cold, that feels like you're being stabbed in the feet, just to let you know. <laughs> But we're like, we got to do this. This is so cool. This would be a great memory. So we all do. Now imagine you're doing that, and it is cold outside. Imagine that you jumped into a jacuzzi that was like, you're freezing, your teeth are chattering, you want to get in, you get into the jacuzzi, and you're like, man, it's 86 degrees. Worthless. <laughs> Why did I do this to myself? There's no value. And now you get the picture here. Jesus is saying to the church, Hot stuff has a value. It's good. People come to Heropolis. They get themselves all relaxed, and they're in the jacuzzi. It's awesome. Cold stuff, really good, refreshing, awesome. But you who are in the middle, you've lost something here. You've actually lost your purpose. Now, remember, this is a letter that's read aloud to a group of people. 
church is an assembly of people. So this letter's being read aloud. Hey guys, good, good news, we got mail. John from the island of Patmos, he sent us this cool letter. Let's read it. And they get to this and they're like, oh, spit you out of my mouth. Can we get off of that mailing list? Is there a way we could not have them continue to send us stuff? Because this is just lame. Now, continuing on. So here's what Jesus says. I think. There we go. You say I'm rich. I've acquired wealth and do not need a thing. Laodicea is an incredibly rich city. It's at the crossroads of a lot of places. They're known for not only having water that's undrinkable because, not, well, virtually undrinkable. It smells bad. In fact, one scholar says it's mostly, what does he say? It's te- by the time it gets by aqueduct to La- Laodicea, it's tepid and emetic, which means it's lukewarm and it'll make you barf. So that's their problem, right? So they're known for their terrible water and they're also known for being incredibly rich. They were specialized in wool dyeing and things like that anyway. They're super rich. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, again, remember this being read out loud to a super excited audience. You are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Thank you, Jesus. Okay, keep on going. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich, and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness, and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Keep on going. Those whom I love... I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. Now, let me just, let me back up a little bit. Now, Jesus is writing this, this he's writing this to, or not Jesus is writing, John's writing this, this vision of Jesus to these folks, and he's saying to them, listen, you have everything you could possibly want. You are people who can afford to buy all of what you might need. You are known for having this kind of wealth, and yet there is something that happens to you, there's something that's happened to you, which is that you have lost the ability to understand what really matters about what you're purchasing. In other words, Two things. Well, I'd say this. First is this. You know that moment in um, like a romantic comedy? I know you guys, you're like, I don't know what you're talking about. I've never seen one before, but just bear with me. I know someone, you've heard of one before, but I know just being stereotypical here, I know a lot of women have seen romantic comedies before. My wife will only see those movies with me in the theater. It's like, wow, great. Another movie with Hugh Grant. That's so good. I love this. This is so, this is the best. But in those moments, there's always a moment at some point in all of those stories when there's a realization that, that the guy has to kind of, a, kind of a moment that whatever he has, whatever he possesses, whatever wealth, whatever that looks like, whatever he has is worthless without the girl that he's trying to get. There's always that crisis and literally there's the decision in those movies where it's like, I'm going to have to decide between my super awesome life or you and I don't know what's, and so he has this sort of both and and then kind of goes over and finally there's a crisis where it's like, listen, you can't, your, your, your wealth is worthless, which is what Jesus is saying. You have everything you thought you wanted and you're still missing it. And then he says, I want you to take, I want you to, buy, by the way, he calls them completely poor and then he says, I want you I want you to take what, whatever you have and I want you to buy true riches, gold is what he says. It's all imagery here. I want you to cover your own shame. I want you to buy white robes to cover your shame. I, I want you to live differently. I want you to put salve on your eyes, which is sort of another piece of irony here is that Laodicea was known for its a particular mineral that people would put on their eyes when they had eye infections. And he says, you guys are blind and you don't see it. You've missed it entirely. You know, it's kind of like, um, he's kind of saying to them, you have a list of things that you're, tr- that you're trying to buy that you intended to buy with your life to give it meaning. And somehow or another, you bought everything else you didn't need. It's like if you've ever, if some of you have ever had this experience, you've ever been to Target. <laughs> That's it. Um, <laughs> but you go there to buy batteries 
And pretty soon you have a backpack and some toys and a tire tube and you have a t-shirt and you have bacon and you're like, I just wanted batteries. It's like, but it's $115 later. You're like, but I did say 5% because I have their little dumb card or whatever. It's so great. (laughs) Essentially, that's what's happening in this church. These people have bought everything that they thought they would have needed and they're still going, what? I'm still missing something. Jesus is calling them out to it. See, there's this desiring for them to have an end to their poverty and shame. And it's this thing that they cannot purchase. They cannot buy with the means that they've had before. There's another way in which they're going to have to deal with it, to think about it, to understand it. And so Jesus says, I want you to spend your money on something that really matters. He continues on. Then he says this most famously. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Now, when Jesus is saying this phrase, this is kind of interesting. This is, you have to understand this, the imagery that's being invoked here. I have to go cover a couple of things. One is this. The imagery of dining together is a couple of things. One is that in the ancient Near East, people at the end of the day would have their big meal together, just like you would think about a kind of a Sunday dinner. Typically, people think about it where everybody, all the family and all the workers and everybody gets together and they all eat in the same place. This is kind of that idea. This is the imagery that's being invoked. By the way, when Jesus talked, he talked about this a couple weeks ago. When Jesus spoke about this thing called the kingdom of God, when kingdom of God, just essentially to paraphrase, is that when all, it's basically described the effective range of God's will or when God's intended future is lived out in the here and now and in the future. And one of the prevailing imagery or images of that of that idea of the kingdom of God is of a feast, of a dinner, of a table. And foremost, centered at that feast, the kind of focal point of that feast is this person of Jesus. And you have a picture now where there's a person who is Jesus who is somehow outside of the party. People are eating and enjoying each other and being together. And Jesus is saying, I think you forgot someone at the feast. The analogy would be to sort of imagine that you're at a birthday party that you've been invited to at Chuck E. Cheese. It's a nightmare for most of us. I get that, but just bear with me. But you get the idea. There's like the cool rat that hangs out with the food, that he's friendly and he comes over to you and talks to you. It's so awesome. And then you're playing the games and you're wasting all kinds of money on that skee-ball thing where you're like, I got seven tickets. I spent $12. I got seven tickets. I can buy an eraser over there at that little redemption thing. <laughs> and you do all that stuff. And then someone finally says, hey, where's little Steve? You mean the kid who's throwing the birthday party? He's outside. Yeah, no, it doesn't really, not a big deal. Let's keep playing. I mean, like, that's kind of the image here, Jesus is saying. I get that you guys are having the party, but somehow you might have forgot something. And there's something I want you to just understand. Jesus, as the one the Bible will tell us, is at the beginning of all creation, the, the, the author of all creation himself, with God in creation, eternal Jesus. There is one thing in all of Jesus' power that he cannot do. There's one thing. If he, was to, if he was to pull everything together to make everything work, to use all of his power, there's one thing he refuses to do. He cannot do it. He can do lots of stuff, but he cannot do one thing. And so he looks at his people, the church right here, and he says, this, I want you to hear these words. Listen to this line. Yeah, that's good. Now, yeah, 
I didn't sing the song. Thank you, though. But yes, you're welcome. Bonnie Raitt. Uh, everybody. Now, listen. Jesus literally looks at us and he says, I can do all kinds of stuff. I can, do, I can, I can force all kinds of things, but I cannot make you love me. I can't do it. There's a reason why Jesus doesn't do like the ninja SWAT kick and kick the door open to the party. Poof, I'm Jesus. What's up? He could use force or manipulation or charm or trickery. He could use his own power, whatever he wants to do, except that, that love would not be genuine. And so Jesus, this is the picture we get. I can't make you love me. The church who has done all of these things, who has been so good, who has been so on top of all this stuff, has somehow lost the most important thing. And it is so easy for us to get there. You start imagining that God wants something for us different than just himself. You start imagining there's all kinds of other things we ought to do, and we start to create all kinds of respectful attitudes towards Jesus, which nothing wrong with respect, let's be clear. We start creating some processes for us to get involved in and things to kind of connect us to the idea, the practice of following Jesus. And we start creating something. We start creating religion. We have formality and we have formula, and we create a religion where our intention is to try to do everything right and get it all right because that's what God wants for us. Isn't that what we believe? There's something missing there. In fact, as we start thinking about religion, more often than not, what you do is you kind of get a picture of this. This is where religion inevitably will go. If I do the right things, God, and you see them, I know that you'll protect me from stuff and you'll help me. You'll, and when I need you, when there's a traffic cop in my mirror, when there's, you know, my rear mirror, I know that I could just shoot up a prayer because I've done the other things I'm supposed to do, then you'll give me freedom from that cop. <laughs> when I'm facing difficult financial trouble, I can just do the, I did the things, I've been going to church, doing all the right stuff, I do, and then you're supposed to give me, they call that a quid pro quo. Call that a this for that. Jesus, if there's something, I, I do all these things and then you do it, right? That's how it's supposed to work. That's religion. One pastor says this way, I love this. Religion is attempting to harness the power of God for one's own purposes. Look, God, I need you to do stuff for me. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do for you. Isn't that what this is about, where I do stuff and then you do stuff? But the problem with that is as soon as God doesn't do what you want him to do for your purposes, you start thinking the whole thing's a waste. You start thinking it's all busted. You start thinking this whole whole idea is a big nightmare. Maybe there's another way to consider it. Maybe another way to look at this. Jesus is standing outside the party. He's basically being treated like... Oh, yeah, he's basically being treated like a stranger because inside the party, there's family and friends, and then outside the party, strangers. That's how we identify. If you're in the party, you're one of us. If you're not in the party, you know, you're at another. Have you ever had someone try to sit at your table when you were a little kid or you had like your after the end of the year uh, pizza party, you know, for your, your little t-ball team, and some kid from the Atlanta Braves sits at the Dodgers table? It's like, whoa, bro, we're the, we're the Bra- you don't belong here. You're one of the outsiders. You're a stranger. We might like you, but you're a stranger. We'll polite to you, but your table's over there. Now, we have a strange relationship with strangers in, the Orange, in Orange County, and especially in South OC. Here's what I would say with our relationship with strangers. We know very young, from a very young age, because we're so terrified, and our parents do a good job, moms, way to go, that when you see a stranger, you're automatically supposed to associate that stranger with Danger. I don't know that person. Don't look them in the eye and run away, right? Now, again, we've probably all been saved. Like, we didn't get in a van or whatever else when we were kids. That's a stranger. Good. Wait. Awesome. Way to go. But there's another weird thing we do as strangers in Orange County. 
is that we believe we should, they should all be impressed by us. We'll never meet them, but they should at least look at us and go, way to go. And it's the most superficial things. It has so much, we cannot, you know, like, um, and all, this is a bit of a confession because I don't think I'm this person until I'm this person is one of those things, right? Um, the other day I had to take the trash out and I realized I had slept in a pair of blue shorts, like light blue shorts, and then a, somehow managed in the darkness to put a light blue t-shirt on. And so I woke up and went, I have to take the trash out. And I thought, it looked like I tried to do this. I can't look like that. People will drive by and think, that guy tried to do that. Oh, no. He's like, oh, this is this guy's an idiot. And I thought, I'm like, oh, why do I care? I'm never going to see these people. It doesn't matter. And, you know, I'm like, then I realized I'm going upstairs to change my shirt to take the trash out. <laughs> That's a problem. It should not matter. I'm never going to see these people again. And when we start thinking about, like, here's what we think about strangers. I need you to love me. I need you to think I'm great. I need you to think I'm wonderful. We start, we start trying to figure out ways to impress people we never intend to meet. We never intend to be around. We work out, we get our hair done, we make sure our, our clothes are great, we make sure that we enable people to know that we have freedoms that they don't have, so they're just a little bit envious of us. You know, we love, the, the, if we ever get upgraded to like first class in a plane, <laughs> the level of like self-importance that we start feeling about ourselves, oh, it's unbelievable. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm boarding in zone one. <laughs> I'm going to go in there and put a wet towel on my face, because that's the first thing I think of when I get to a plane is, where's my wet towel? And I'm going to do that. You guys just get way in the back. It's going to be just walk. When you walk past me trying to bump me, it's like, you know, like, oh. <laughs> we love that people think that about us. We live our lives constantly trying to impress someone who we'll never meet. Folks, this is what Jesus is saying to the church in Laodicea. It's as if you're trying to impress someone you never intended to meet in the person of Jesus. You have all kinds of stuff going on. You're kind of an impressive church. There's all this stuff going on. And it's as if you were trying to impress someone you never intended to meet at all. It's like we want Jesus, this, this church wants the, Jesus to see how great they're doing without getting close enough to really know them. And this is where it gets a little crazy for us. This isn't the way this is supposed to end. This isn't the way the romantic comedy, so to speak, is supposed to end. It isn't supposed to end with the guy outside knocking on the door going, hey. At some point, someone's got to open, stand out in the rain, the flowers are all wilted, he's, you know, soaking wet. At some point, someone's going to have to open the door and say, you're here. And there's this kind of frightening thing that Jesus says to some folks who are following him. And again, I, uh, if you want to read, if you just really want to read a bunch of stuff, they're like, oh, I wish Jesus didn't say that. Which, I don't, if you want that, it's in Matthew 5 through Matthew 7. But I want, I want to show you something that's even it's even scarier, so just check this out. Because it's Mother's Day, why not scare people? Verse 21, Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, went to the kingdom of heaven. This is Matthew's phrase for the kingdom of God. He doesn't use the word kingdom of God, he uses the phrase kingdom of heaven. But only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So far, everybody's like, well, that kind of makes sense. And then he says this. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and, did, and drive out demons in your name and, and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me you evildoers you know people who did great stuff and he's going yeah but I didn't know you you tried to make it about you me being impressed with you you tried to do all this other stuff and somehow or another it, you just missed the whole point said differently it is possible to do everything right and still get everything wrong 
what Jesus wants for you, for him, is that you would love him, that you would walk with him, that that would be your, 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 your own journey. Now, here's what I want you to take. There's just a couple things. I want. We, gotta, we gotta wrap up, but I wanna give you a couple things to consider. Jesus wants for you in relationship with him. Now, there's, I don't have time to, we could do a whole, another message on this. We don't have time. I just wanna go quickly through this. He wants for you to have joy, not obligation. If you sense that what you're doing in relationship to Jesus has to do with obligation, well, I better do that or he's going to be ticked. You have missed the point. No matter how great of a thing it is. When we do things, everything's coming up very soon. We have serve day, which a thousand of us are going to go and serve. And if you're like, I wonder if I should go to that. Yes, you should. But if you should not do it, if you're like, I feel obligated and shamed if I don't go. It should be joy. This is Jesus' own response to us. He just wants us to have joy. Secondly, transparency, not shame. If the reason why you are trying to follow Jesus or to work things out in your own life with Jesus has to do mostly with the fear of being shamed, it's not what Jesus wants for you. He is invitation to you and to all of us, which all of us, I don't care how long you've been walking with Jesus, we will fall into these things easily. He says, I want you to experience joy and transparency and not shame. Right now, some of our folks are in an experience we call Rooted. And this is the fifth week of that rooted experience. And people walk through the things that are the most difficult stuff. And they go, I've been struggling with this. And people appreciate transparency and vulnerability and do not shame each other. That's what Jesus wants for you. Next, mutual submission. By the way, I should say this. If you like aren't sure about Jesus, maybe you even hate Jesus. I don't know what you like. Someone dragged, mom dragged you here and you put on your sweater and you're here with the vest and the pink tie or whatever. Way to go. I want to understand, if you want to have successful relationships in any relationships, you need this. Where both people say to the other person, I, want, I will give everything I got for you to have the success that you want in your life. And the other person says, I will give everything I got so that you can have the fullest possible life that you can have. And both people are saying it to each other. And it's like, it's like too many kind people at a stop sign. You know, like, no, you go. No, you go. No, you. No, you. No, I can't. No, you. I really, I, you know, no, you. You know, like, that's what you want in your, in your relationships. If you don't have that, if you're not that person, the other person isn't that person, that's a problem. Some of you are still laughing at the stop sign analogy. Bear with me. It's not in my notes. That was free. Okay. Mutual submission. Not suspicion. If you believe that Jesus has an agenda other than to love you and to make you into a whole person, you will lose out. And if there's suspicion, you'll start resulting, resorting to ob obligatory sort of habits. You'll start being ashamed of the things you did or did not do, and it will start to not work for you. And Jesus just says, look, I can't make you love me, so I'm going to stand at this door. And whoever wants to open it up, I'm going to come in. I'm going to hang out with them. I'm going to be with them. But it's not going to be enough if you do all the right things and still miss me. I want you. I can't make you love me. You know, in the end of every single one of these romantic comedies, especially the teen ones, it's never like the two ultra handsome people who end up together at the end of this thing. It's always that this one person who is desirable, it finally dawns on them. That the, that the humble, loyal always there for them person is the person they were intended to be with. It's the person the audience is rooting for the entire time. Go Hugh Grant. Yes, Julia Roberts can be your girlfriend. We root for them the whole time because we all identify. I mean, that's the whole story Jesus says to us. How much longer do you want to leave me out of the party? Don't do everything right and get everything wrong. Walk with me. The story of mutual submission in Jesus is that he gave everything he had for people to walk with him. That is the story. It is what he did. He already demonstrated it on the cross for you. 
Let's pray together. Jesus, on this Mother's Day, we, um, we remember that you are one who desires for us to have a relationship with you. That your intent, Jesus, isn't merely that we would do all the right stuff, but that we would walk with you in wholeness and in freedom. Jesus, our life is one in which we long to be known and be cared for. Sometimes, Father, we have an understanding that if we could pull everything together, if we could do all the right stuff, that people then would find us to be more attractive and lovely. And yet, Jesus, we keep finding ourselves running empty. And you look at us and say, I love you as a father loves his own children. And so, Jesus, we, we choose you and are adopted by you. If for the first time, some of us, Father, maybe need to let you open, we need to open the door and let you in, knowing that you're not going to kick it open. Maybe in some small way we say, okay, I don't know what I'm supposed to do, but I'm going to put you first and I'm going to let you come in. Others of us, Father, we have walked a long time with you and there are just parts of our lives that have just edged you out. And so, Jesus, would you begin to warm us up to the idea again, maybe just, maybe it's even a shock, that all of what we do that is good and right doesn't matter if it's without you in it. Jesus, I know in the midst of a Mother's Day, there is great joy and great celebration. There's also great pain. And I know there are people that may need to receive extra prayer today. And so our prayer team will be available for those of you who want to do that. But Jesus, would you hear our, our songs as we set them to music? Jesus, we're grateful for a church that says that the response out of the message is as important as the message itself. And so we'll respond together and we'll sing together. And we'll hear your voice as we hear our own voices singing to you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Feel free to stand with me and sing as we respond. In the morning when I rise, in the morning when I rise, in the morning when I rise, give me time in the morning. In the morning when I rise. In the morning when I rise. It's in the morning when I rise. Give me Jesus. Give me Jesus, give me Jesus, you can have all this world, you can have all this world, you can have all this world.
God says to us on this Mother's Day, He says, I'm yours and you are mine. Like the tender love of a mother to children. So would you, today on this Mother's Day, would you hold out your hands? Would you, there's nothing magical in this, by the way, if you're new with us, nothing, just simply a posture of receiving what God would give to us, which is His love. And so, would you receive this? Father, you see us, people who try to get it right, who are a work in progress, people who are somehow obsessed with making strangers think we're wonderful. Father, might, might it be our heart's desire to never treat you like a stranger? But not that you would look at us and go, look at how wonderful they are, but that you would look at, look at us and go, there go my kids, and I love them, and I walk with them, and they know me, and I know them. Jesus, might we be on a greater and greater dis- discovery to greater and greater know you, greater depths of knowledge about who you are, that there is more love and more peace and more hope and more understanding than we could ever possibly imagine. So, Jesus, might that be our journey. Today, Jesus, we pray especially upon moms, those who want to be moms, those who are wounded by not being moms. God, would you bring about healing and hope? Would you bring about joy? Would today be a day in which everything points to you, the one who stands at the door and knocks, wanting us to be with him. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Yeah, very happy Mother's Day, you guys. Out on the patio, take a picture with your mom. We got all kinds of mom stuff out there. Make sure moms get to cut in front of the line, you guys. Dads, don't jump in front. See you guys later. Have a great week. God bless you.